0: technology is fun y'all um <laughs> just, like accidentally muted in the middle and i have no idea <laughs> i was like what
1: is happening right now
0: <laughs> wow i was like what's happening yeah apparently our computers know it's monday Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 462 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Welcome. I'm so excited for this episode. We're doing something a little different today. Um, if you listened to our episode last week, we Adam and I did a um, podcast that was musical-related because of Hamilton, and I sort of hinted that we were going to tackle a different cultural icon this week that was um, also, you know, happening, streaming on the same time. If you guessed Babysitter's Club, you are correct. Like many people my age, I'm, I'm an older millennial and that zennial kind of that micro generation between Gen X and millennial. I grew up reading the Babysitter's Club. You know, Netflix recently had the TV show, which is phenomenal. And I knew I wanted to talk about um the Babysitters Club book. Um, Adam, though, not really a big Babysitters fan, shockingly, that I have two podcasting friends, Kate and Lauren, who have an entire podcast dedicated to the Babysitters Club. Uh, Generation BSC is their podcast, and they are going book by book soon, episode by episode of the show. Um, you know, talking about, doing like deep dives into the Babysitter's Club books. Not just the original series, but they have the super specials. They have the mysteries, which I loved. Um, it's it's a phenomenal podcast. I am so excited. So I knew, you know, when it came time to talk about the Babysitter's Club, I knew I wanted to bring um, Kate and Lauren on to the Professional Book Nerds podcast. So that's what we have today. It's an entire episode dedicated to the Babysitter's Club both the books and the tv show if you want to follow us professional book nerds you can go to our website professionalbooknerds.com you will find all of our social links there we are on instagram and twitter at pro book nerds, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds@overdrive.com. at overdrive.com um, if you want to listen to generation bsc Which you will after listening to Kate and Lauren on uh, Pro Book Nerds. You can find them uh, on all your major podcasting places, and you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter um, at GenerationBSC. Also, if my cold open didn't give it away, uh, we had technical, like multiple technical difficulties throughout the recording of this. It was super weird. You know, you put three podcasters together, and of course, all of a sudden, technology fails on us. Um, and when I downloaded the file, there's some feedback that um, I didn't pick up on my end when I was recording. So apologies in advance for that. It's It sort of comes and goes throughout the episode, but just as a warning – Um, so I think that is everything. Um, I'm just really excited for you all to listen to this episode and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kate and Lauren from Generation BSC on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Lauren, Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having us. I am so excited, um, to talk to both of you about Babysitter's Club. I know that, Kate in particular had been posting, Kate and I have known each other since high school and you'd spend posting about, you were starting this podcast like a couple years ago and I was like totally on board with this.
1: Yeah. So we, I think we, we just posted our 20th book, but we've been planning this for probably like two years, like you said, because we're both big planners. We like to make sure we have all our ducks in a row before we actually hit the ground running and like put things out into the world. So we did way more Background prep than we probably needed to, but we feel like we got to a good place finally, and we're like, okay, we got to do this. So now we're we're out there, we're <laughs> excited, going full full force.
2: <laughs> Learning as we go, definitely. Like we sure. we were both, yeah. we're I think what Kate was trying to be kind about us and say is that we're both a little bit perfectionists. So we didn't want to start anything without you know like feeling like we could really do it to our highest level of quality, but. Um, I, I, think we're really learning that this is sort of a skill that you pick up as you go along, we get, um, better and better at it and are having more and more fun with it. So, um, we're, yeah, it's been really, really cool to, besides we can talk about the Baby Sears Club conservatively every day, all day and still, <laughs> still have things to say.
0: No. Yeah. Podcasting is definitely a, a learning experience. I was telling you both before we started recording and anyone who listened to our, our earlier episodes, is is aware of this but when we started we were just sort of using random office random meeting rooms throughout our office and we unfortunately learned the hard way which ones were attached to the bathrooms because we would hear the air dryer go off in like the middle of our recording so that was always fun to try and edit around that um but yeah you're up to 20 books so you do um we'll get i mean we'll talk about the tv show but obviously this is a book podcast so (laughs) got to talk about the babysitters club and so each episode is a book from the series and you started with christy's great idea correct
1: yes we started at the beginning we've worked our way through there's been one super special in there so we actually have 21 episodes or full episodes we also do emergency meetings when we want to talk about things like the show or you know what we think the girls are doing in quarantine because we got very you know We needed more things to fill our time in quarantine. So we thought more podcast episodes was the way to do it. (laughs) We found a chronological list
2: um, on uh, the Babysitter's Club wiki. And we've been using that to put all of the like super specials and the mysteries in somewhat chronological order, because I am obsessed with the idea of this infinite time loop. That is the eighth grade that they wind (laughs) up in. So we're still in our like first iteration. So it hasn't been too exciting yet, but I'm waiting with bated breath for like, the seventeenth time we have the Halloween Hop, or the eighteenth Sadie Hawkins dance. It's, uh my. I, so I see your TARDIS painting behind you. I'm also a huge Doctor Who fan, so the timey wiminess of it all is is very exciting for me.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that really is an infinite time loop of eighth grade, isn't it? <laughs> yes <laughs> Just- Lauren has a whole like spreadsheet
1: of which dances have happened so far and like when they happened and for Halloween in particular she's keeping track of the costumes that they wear so that when we get to the dance again they're not going to be wearing the same costumes but somehow it's still eighth grade and it's the Halloween dance again so <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah we're, we're super really excited
2: about it. about it
0: yeah oh god that's yeah curious.
2: And it's funny, too, because Kate and I have both noted, and I, I feel like a lot of the women um, and, and men who are reading them at, at our age when they were initially coming out sort of fell off at a certain place. Um, we're hearing from a lot of people that, like, oh, I don't remember those upper ones. And then, the, like, the people right behind us remember those later ones better. So it's it's been really fun for us to, like. Connect with oh these are ones that are really strong vivid memories of my childhood and looking at some of the later titles and being like yeah I don't have any clue what's happening here so I'm excited to see um, some
0: of those things that we don't remember as well. Mm-hmm. I guess should backtrack slightly. Um, just sort of you know like what n- made you want to to start the podcast um, in general like what is it about the Babysitters Club and also the name of the podcast, which I like knowing where that comes from. I think it's fantastic, but obviously our listeners don't. So can you give us a little bit of background on how the podcast came to be? Well,
1: I can answer the first question and Lauren can maybe take the second one. Cause the first answer about why we decided to start this is sort of comes from me on a Friday afternoon having the shocking realization that my mom had given away all my babysitter's club books when I was a kid. Wasn't quite so much a shocking realization as like a shocking remembrance because obviously I knew that she had. And so I decided that rather than working that Friday afternoon, I was going to go on eBay and buy lots of, lots meaning like a hundred babysitter's club books in one like lot. So find as many babysitter's club books that way as I could because I suddenly needed to have them all again. And I needed to read them all. And Lauren and I were talking on Gchat or texting or something. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm doing this. And she was like, oh, my God, I love the Babysitter's Club, too. Because we had never really talked about Babysitter's Club. But it suddenly we were like, she was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll get all the electronic versions. And I'll read them. And we can have like a book club. And we were sort of like, well, why don't we just record it and put it out in the world? Because at that time she was living in Las Vegas and we didn't really get to spend a lot of like time together. And we, you know, it was sort of like, we'd have these marathon catch ups every couple weeks. So it was like, if we do a podcast then we have a reason that we have to talk to each other, which is such like a sad thing to think as like adults, you have to like, make yourself make time for your friends, but you kind of do because it's, it's harder when you're an adult. So yeah. we decided that a podcast was a good way to make sure that we spent time together every week and so far it's been good and Lauren's back in Cleveland now so (laughs) we don't necessarily need the podcast although with quarantine it sort of helps to have a something to occupy our time and communicate with each other on things other than the current state
0: of the world right and then yeah so the name generation BSC where did that come from
2: so Kate and I had been talking about doing some kind of something like along the lines of a podcast really since college. Like I think our first idea was a, a TV blog called Christ on a Bike. <laughs> don't know why <laughs> we thought that nice. was very funny one night, um, but that was always sort of our biggest um, issue is we could never quite figure out exactly what our perspective was and exactly what we wanted to say. And when Kate found those Babysitter's Club books, what we realized was how pivotal they were for our development, how we grew up and how... Um, it was like for both of us who are big fandom fans who are big you know nerds and very into pop culture um, that was sort of a starting point for us getting involved in a series getting involved in um, you know ongoing stories and looking forward to the next one and and world building um, was really influential for us and then when we looked around Um, we realized that there was, uh, similar to like the Oregon Trail generation, um, Babysitter's Club was really hugely, vitally important for like a small swath of the um, generations. And um, really, it's the ones that are sort of on the the cuspers between Gen X and the Millennials. So elder Millennials, Xennials, Oregon Trail generation, like I said. Um, so we decided to dub it Generation BSC. And the the coolest part for us as this has developed, um, when we started talking about this, they hadn't even announced the show. We were thrilled and excited when they uh, announced that, probably about six months after we first started talking about this. And one of the things we've realized as we've gone forward is the coolest thing has been seeing the graphic novels come out, the new show come out and a whole new generation of BSC fans um, coming to the fore. So it's been, it started off as one thing and it's kind of evolved as, as the show has evolved um, in, in the last couple of years.
0: It's really kind of incredible the way that the Babysitter's Club is still around. I mean, even before the TV show, people were still reading the books. It's just, you have these couple girls with a club babysitting, and yet so many people over the years and decades at this point just really love those stories and those girls yeah it's
1: it's really funny because I have a friend who has a daughter who's eight or nine right now and like her daughter is super into them and it's not because my friend was like hey I read these books you should read them she sort of found them organically and is now obsessed with them and you know obviously she's not old enough to babysit but I'm sure it's making her want to be a babysitter someday she has a couple younger siblings so I'm sure she's already looking forward to that and it's It's just interesting because I think that was the thing with Generation BSD is we sort of looked at it only from our perspective of like we grew up with these without thinking about the fact that like every kid grows up with them. It's just a matter of us not even realizing that there were kids out there that also were reading Babysitter's Club now or that had been throughout the years. So it's been, it's been really fun to sort of realize that. And as we've connected with people through the podcast, they're, you know, they're our age, they're older, they're younger. Some of them have kids that are reading them. So it's been really fun to sort of realize the generation BSC actually is just anyone who grew up with the babysitter's club, which we didn't really think about obviously going into it, but it's been really, really cool to see.
0: Has there been anything, you know, in these rereads that, um, has sort of surprised you about the books that maybe you didn't remember or you didn't pick up on when you were kids? I, I think for me,
2: one of the things that we were talking about, like as seeing that develop and one of the reasons that we started talking about the Babyservice Club in the first place was the question of why, why they have stayed so viable. And I, I think for me, that's been one of the nicest things about reading through them is realizing that it was not a fluke or a flash in the pan or it was not a, um, it was not an accident that these are the, this is the series that endured um, over some of the many, many other also ran versions that the 80s and 90s gave us. And it's because I think that they, they don't talk down to children at all. Like in fact, it's, it's asking kids to engage on a higher level Um, And I I think that that has been such a nice surprise for me. I think um, I sort of thought it'd be fun, you know, look at these kids books and these kids stories and, you know, remember what it was like to be a kid. But I've been pleasantly surprised by how much they are actually willing to tackle real world things, um, the way that they allow the girls to make mistakes and be wrong and screw up and get it right and um, be real people and not just uh, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about the so-called Danny Tanner moment that um, so many sitcoms, you know, try to cheesily package a parental like here's the message at the end of the story. And while the, the books definitely have messages, they're, they're they are aimed at kids. The messages don't feel preachy in the way that so much other material aimed at children does. Um, so that on the story wise, that's really cool. But the other thing we noted is how how much it's teaching kids how to read, which I think is really really incredible um the way they we Kate one of her favorite aspects is the you know the breaking of the fourth wall and bringing us in the reader being involved um I really love how they introduce literary concepts to kids and introduce you know foreshadowing and here's how you can learn vocabulary from reading and it's really um there's so much there to them that has been really fun to rediscover
0: yeah it's more than just couple of girls with that club there's i mean that's sort of how it's you know it's it's sold and packaged but um yeah there's a lot of depth to those mm-hmm. books mm-hmm. yeah and i think about how you know when i was in college sex in the city was huge and of course everyone was like are you Carrie? Okay? are you samantha but when you think about yeah. it that actually started so much earlier because you like everyone did that with the babysitters club like which babysitter are you so which babysitter are you <laughs> actually let me let me actually let me rephrase it which babysitter did you think you were or were did you think you were when you were a kid and has that changed now that you're an adult rereading them
1: I as a kid knew through and through that I was a Marianne I would say currently I and when I was a kid I wanted very desperately to be Stacy I thought Stacy was so cool and so sophisticated, and I was obsessed with New York, which, again, is why I was Marianne, because she is also obsessed with New York. Um, Now, I would say I still have that Marianne in me, but there's definitely shades of Claudia. I feel like I'm a lot more um, outgoing and outrageous in certain ways. I like doing creative endeavors, whether it's, you know, making purses or jewelry or um collages those sorts of things so I feel like I'm much more artistic than I was as a kid which is kind of interesting so I would say I'm a combination of Marianne and Claudia now
2: I am and have always been a Christy like there is just no there's no if ands or buts I'm Christy through and through um I do have a little bit of Karen in me which is <laughs> um <laughs> been really fun thank god people are, are digging the new iteration of karen because that mm-hmm. was always sort of my like bratty little sister tendencies even though i'm the big sister but um that that sort of outsized imagination um getting me into trouble i definitely empathized with that with with karen um but yes, yeah, i am there's no denying my Christie nature as much as i was as a kid really wanted to be claudia because i wanted to be cool and laid back and um you know less high strung about everything. And no, that was just <laughs> never in the cards for me.
0: <laughs> I think when I was growing up and reading the books, I definitely identified a lot with Mallory. Um, you know, like she was sort of the one who was the writer and she had her little notebook that she would carry around. Plus I always wanted to be a redhead. So, you know, that played a little bit into it. Um, but as I've gotten older, I I think I definitely have more Christy tendencies than I realized. Um but also there's a little bit of Claudia in there too that again that like artistic side <laughs> but also the one thing that I always related to with Claudia is the hiding of the candy in her room. <laughs> yes. Yep. And I know you posted on social that you've been like keeping track <laughs> of not yes. just what candy she's hiding, but where in the room she's hiding it which Oh yeah. <laughs> Just that that is no. my
1: my <laughs> spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet for fashion. I have a spreadsheet for snacks. I like sorted them by what the snacks are, so I could figure out this chart. And then I used actual graphing graph paper and stickers and markers and took a picture to post on social media because I, while I am creative, I am not a computer creative person. I'm not good at Photoshop, graphic design, that sort of thing. My skills in that area is like using Word, <laughs> so. I went like old school, but I think that one of the things you said, since you're a Mallory, we, Lauren and I both feel, felt very strongly going into this. um, that Mallory was the worst and we were not apologetic about that, but we have come to realize that Mallory is actually one of the best, if not the best um, character wise, like Mallory's awesome. She really has come into her own, even over the like 20 books that we've read so far. Um, she obviously still has the those like 11 year old tendencies that can be a little obnoxious but she's really really we've both I mean I know I have I, th- I think Lauren you mentioned you've come around on her we've we've really really like Mallory yeah. a lot more so it, it's that's been one thing that's been fun is sort of like realizing that reading them as a kid I didn't appreciate Mallory probably because she was closer in age and seemed more similar to me and the girls the rest of the girls were more aspirational so I wanted to be them as opposed to wanting to identify with Mallory <laughs> or Jesse.
0: that's fair that's fair I can see
2: that, that was exactly what I was gonna say I was like, like I the Jesse of it all or the Matt of it all for me in a way was um I overly was like uh, identified with the fact that she was like hanging out with the older girls and wanted to be accepted by them and constantly felt by like a baby. And that was not a a, a, play, a thing that I was at that age willing to get introspective about myself. So it was much easier to be like, yeah, no, Mallory sucks. Moving on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. Speaking of how young they were, that's always the thing that has sort of surprised me about the books because when you're reading them and they're babysitters, and have this club. And I don't remember if I was babysitting at that age, like people other than my sister. And so the idea of having this like whole club where I'm babysitting all these kids in my um, neighborhood, it just, it always sort of struck me as a little unrealistic, but I don't know, maybe that was just me. The 11
1: year olds babysitting seemed, seems a little crazy to me. I know I was babysitting in eighth grade and I definitely in high school because I was like the babysitter for my neighborhood because mm-hmm. I did not have a life, and I liked having money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because so, I know Jill, you and I worked at the library together. So up until then, I was babysitting like every weekend. That was my my job. So I know at fourteen, fifteen for sure. I think at thirteen too, though. But I definitely didn't have a babysitting club, unlike <laughs> my podcast co-host, who can tell you about her prospects of a child entrepreneur.
2: <laughs> so I'm a little unique in that I have younger siblings and I have much younger siblings. I'm um, nearly eight and 10 years older than my two youngest siblings. So I was dealing with babies from the time I was eight years old, like I had diapers, watching them for my mom while she was like other doing other things in the house. Um, my mom was, to be clear, a very hands-on parent. It was not like, here, take the kids and go. Right. But I had a lot of experience with kids. So I, I think it made it a lot easier for the, uh, we also had a very small, close-knit neighborhood who all knew my family. So I was trusted with people's kids a lot younger, I think, than other people would have because of that experience. Um, also, because I was a Christie, I have heard that I was you know, three going on 30 my whole life. So I think um, I kind of forgot that I was only 11 or 12 a lot of times. And by sheer force of will, um, made other people forget that as well. So I actually did start a babysitter's club um, with the girls in my neighborhood, just yanked it full wholesale from the book, took the logo and everything, (laughs) like completely shameless. Um, But I did take it very seriously and took it one step further and like made us get like uh, Red Cross certified and infant CPR and like what to do if a child is choking and like all of that stuff. So um, I was very gung-ho about it, which, you know, again, Christy, go figure.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I do think when I was babysitting in, maybe I was babysitting in middle school. See, I don't really remember now. Maybe because of my mind, I'm like, that feels too young, but it wasn't. Um, I definitely borrowed some of the ideas of the kid kit, you know, having stuff Mm -hmm. you would take to go like puzzles and coloring books and stuff. Such a smart idea.
2: I was thinking about it the other day, I realized that I have basically just adapted the kid kit for myself for my real <laughs> life. Like I was, I was packing and I was looking at my purse and I was like, I have all these different things in here that I've like a kit for like, if I, for face stuff and nail stuff and a kit for like first aid stuff and a kit for like, oh, if I'm bored, here's some like fun things to do. And I'm like, oh, my purse is I like just basically carry around
0: my own personal kid kit. And now We're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. Babysitters all had kid kits, but with libraries, schools, and bookstores shut down, how do you keep your kids learning and growing? Literati is the subscription book club that makes it easy to find unique and interesting books for your kids by delivering great stories straight to your doorstep. Literati actively curates stories that spark curiosity and soften the heart, which saves you hours of searching the store or scrolling through lists of books online. Only keep your favorites and send back the rest for free. That means you're only paying for the books your kids love. With so many kids out of school, Literati is working to get books into the hands of families who don't have libraries and educational materials of their own. For a limited time, go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. To get it, you have to go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 25% off your first two orders. Again, that's literati.com slash probooknerds. So... I feel like we have to talk about the tv show of course did you both binge watch it in the day like i did i did not because i have had so I many
1: tried. times recently that i um did and then was so sad that i didn't have anything more to watch so i i forced myself to watch it in like two to three to four episode bursts <laughs> it basically was like two and then three and then like four or i guess that doesn't really add up to the right number but close it's enough close. but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I I wanted to, but I also was like, I can't do this so, because I'm going to be so sad.
2: <laughs> I had the best of intentions. I really was going to do like Katie, like we had talked about it together. And we're like, all right, so we're going to pace ourselves out so we can really take each one in and like really think about it, talk about it. And then I sat down and watched them all in one setting, um, which is pretty, pretty standard for my personality. So, um, but I realized that I was like my process for the, for the podcast and our books as well, is read it all the way through once just to experience it and then go back and note take it. So I was like, I have justified it that way for myself. I was like, okay, this binge through is just, this is just me letting it wash over me. And then I'm going to come back and you know, deep dive to it.
0: There you go. That's the smart way to do it. Yeah. I, I also intended to not watch it all in one sitting. Um, I was off that day cause it came out on the third and my husband was, he'd left to go disc golfing. And after lunch, I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch a couple of episodes. And then like five hours later, he has come home and I have <laughs> one episode left <laughs> and I don't know where my day went. Um, but I do also like, I, I do the want to go back. i do want to go back and uh and watch it again like knowing what is coming and what is happening and and look for those things um as a whole i absolutely loved loved everything about it i think they did what i loved there's so many things to love but what i think what i love (laughs) most is how well they took the original stories and just with a few small little twists managed to bring it to 2020 and it made perfect sense.
2: That was, so we've um, Kate mentioned before that the podcast is normally book to book, but we are doing like a little summer mini series where we are going to go episode of episode of the TV show. After seeing it, we decided there's no way one episode is going to cut it. And, and that was one of the big things we talked about. We just recorded our Christy episode. It's coming out next week. Um, And, one of the things we talked about is they may not have stuck to the, the plot letter to letter. And in some ways, that's a very, very good thing. Although mm-hmm. Claudia and Phantom phone calls. But they really managed to capture the spirit or the essence of, like we said, that message of each book um, and, and really just updated just slightly enough to modernize it. Like, I think that was one of our big questions going in is how do you justify this 80s model in a modern
1: world? Yep. And I think that they did it so wonderfully. Yeah, they, I, I was going to say the thing that I think really struck stuck out from the first episode was how they explained why they would be even having a babysitter's club because they do the same sort of montage that's in the book. In the book, Christy's watching her mom, you know, work through her Rolodex and call all the girls that might have babysat for David Michael. Here, there's the whole montage of her, like, trying to get girls on their cell phones, trying to, you know, get through on like a care.com alternative. And it's like 80 bucks. And then once she gets through to a professional babysitter, the prices are, you know, through the roof. And so she complains about the fact that like, when she was a babysitter, you would call a person on their landline, they would answer the phone, you would book them to babysit. And so Christy really sort of hears that and hears We need a place where someone knows that there will be a person there that will answer the phone. They can call during this set time. They can get four babysitters. They're all going to be there. They're going to know their schedules. So I know when I get off the phone, I'm going to have a babysitter. And I think as we were going into being ready to watch the episodes, we were like, but everybody has cell phones. They could have an app. What is it going to look like? And it's like, it makes perfect sense that there would be this babysitters club in Stony Brook in 2020, which is it, perfect.
0: It does, and and Claudia's like, oh yeah, we have a landline. We got it with our internet package because she needed a high. T- I'm like, that makes perfect sense to me. Yes.
1: So just throw in the extra phone <laughs> line.
2: <laughs> that is the exactly. only reason anyone I know still has a phone line. Period is because it came with their cable package. Um, because they kind of browbeat you. They're like, you need a landline for, for what? For this, right. apparently, in case. In case we need to in case of babysitting
0: emergencies <laughs> oh and they bought the phone off etsy i mean it was just yeah. oh it was so good it was so yeah, good so perfect yeah <laughs> the, the little like references
1: to modern things are just they're so like on brand like the etsy reference of course claudia knows all about etsy and uses it all the time and um in our first episode lauren highlights uh, our first episode talking about the series if you guys listen to it you'll hear it but Lauren really focuses on there's the moment in the first episode where the girls are each sort of giving their thoughts on social media and it's like a perfect distillation of who each of those girls is in you know a minute which is it's just it's just perfect i mean obviously we can find things to critique but overall you know the girls that they cast the adults they cast the kids that they're babysitting, it's all, you know, even with the changes that they made to make, you know, Dawn, uh, a Latina girl from California, as opposed to a a white girl with super blonde hair and to make um, Marianne biracial, like those updates, they make sense, but they're still perfect casting, you know, like Dawn is still Dawn, Marianne is still Marianne. They just maybe have a little bit of a different background. And I love that they're taking that into account and making these characters more appealing and encompassing for the world that we live in today and giving girls watching an opportunity to really see themselves as opposed to trying to figure out which girl they are without feeling like they see themselves. Not that you have to be who you are (laughs) you know, racially or background, but I think it's really fun to give people an opportunity to see themselves on screen. Cause that's how I, I know generally in pop culture, that's an issue and I think the Babysitter's Club behind the scenes crew did a really great job with that
0: Agreed yeah I loved you and I, Dawn and she's a Latina and I'm like I'm a, like, yes she came from that makes sense to me mm-hmm. that makes yep. sense
2: Yeah I, I think that they did a really good job of, of taking um, some of the, the socially conscious issues that were already present in the books like we, that's one of the things that we talk about quite a bit in the as we go through book by book is some of those things that they call out and while also acknowledging that they were written in the late 80s, early 90s, and, and the world has evolved and changed since then. And so I think that the, the television show um, lent itself really naturally to updating some of those same topics that they were tackling back in the 80s with a more modern, um, sensitive touch. Like, for example, there's always been the representation of Claudia in there. Um, one, of the, one of our special summer episodes may be talking about the Claudia Kishi documentary that just came out on Netflix. Um, and so like, we always knew that the representation there was really important, but they also didn't talk about it a lot. Like we haven't gotten to even had a book yet where it engages at all with the fact that they're immigrants, that they're Japanese, Uh, like they mention it every time they mention Claudia, but it's in reference to her exotic good looks and Mimi's accent. That's pretty Mm -hmm. much the only engagement with it. Whereas the first Claudia, we get into what it means to be a Japanese immigrant and the history of what that looks like. Um, a, a, as part of U.S. history, so that didn't feel forced, didn't feel like shoe makes perfect sense that would be the experience that that family would have. Um, just looking at it through a more modern study where we're capable of or not I guess capable or willing to um, engage in some warts and all discussion about what what our history really is.
0: Yeah, the one episode that really struck me um, with regards to tackling social issues um was episode four the marianne saves the day with bailey Mm -hmm. that episode just like the whole thing i thought i mean i'm i'm watching it from an outsider i don't have personal experience um with being trans but the way they handled it and don explaining to marianne like what that means and marianne you know like And that's like one of those changes they made from the book in terms of like when Marianne saves the day and this act of courage she has to show that changed, But it was in a really, really wonderful way, um, you know, helping this little girl be recognized for who she was. And I was like crying at the end of that episode. It was so good.
1: But that one in particular, it it really was the perfect update. You know, it's not because obviously we we talked about that book when we were first starting the series um you know the book is very sort of straightforward there's just a medical emergency and Marianne proves that she's mature and capable by calling 911 and getting the little girl to the hospital and that I mean that not in and of itself is a very big thing for a 13 year old 12 year old Mm -hmm. to do but the fact that Marianne doesn't have it explain it she doesn't have you know, Bailey being a trans girl explained to her at all. She sort of figures it out as Bailey is very sick and she has to do the same thing, get her to the hospital. But then on top of that, the doctor and the nurse that come in are misgendering Bailey and Marianne has to be strong and she doesn't like standing up for anyone, including herself, but she takes it upon herself to really do that without really knowing all of the ins and outs, but she knows that Bailey's a little girl and Bailey needs her to be mm-hmm. strong for her and it just I'm getting like choked up now just <laughs> thinking about it because it's just it the, the strength of Marianne in that moment is it's what I think and I hope that people watching it will say, I hope that I could be as strong as Marianne in that same situation and you know not even think about it for a second. She really just goes for it. She's like yeah. I need to talk to you outside. Let's deal with this. And it's
2: it's just it's so powerful. Um yeah and in, in late nineteen eighties the idea of, of having to um call an ambulance and like have grace under pressure in that emergency situation would have felt a little different. I feel like kids now with cell phones were much more like prepared for how to handle what to do in an emergency. Um, I feel like that that wouldn't be as big of a, a deal for kids today. So I thought it makes so much sense for her, her big moment of triumph to be not externally motivated either, but also internally motivated. Um, and I think that makes a big, big difference and as more meaningful for as a message
0: that's a good point yeah yeah i just it's just one of those things where they they manage somehow to just make it modern in 2020 and it makes it makes sense and it it has broader issues um that isn't just you know speaking to the, the kids who would have been reading the books but also the kids who are watching and the adults who are watching as well which I think is also really important especially when you consider the adults watching probably are our age and have kids reading the books and had read them themselves um, it's just it was a really good adaptation overall yeah Although definitely I, agreed I think we have to talk about Karen because Karen <laughs> might be <laughs> my favorite part of the entire series she was so well cast and i loved everything about her i just kind of want to be her best friend um (laughs) like her spooky face when she just i mean just uh
1: so good
0: she was so good
2: she's one of those things that like i think i have so much more space for her now because because i have grown past it and i am an adult and i don't feel quite so like i've sort of owned my more obnoxious karen (laughs) aspects um with like the complete lack of chill Um, (laughs) and I, i it's been it is so fun to watch that character just i think it would have been really easy i mean for the show to try to dial her back to try to rein her in to maybe try to like lessen that some of that obnoxiousness because it's not um, unknown that Karen and his little sister books were less loved, less beloved, than the, the main series. And instead to really just like lean into those things about her and really embrace me as someone who, like I said, um, I did love those aspects of myself growing up, it was so, so great to see them really be embraced and enjoyed.
1: Yeah, Karen was another one of those characters I remember, sort of along the same lines as Mallory, thinking that I, she, I was always so annoyed when she showed up. She was always so a lot, you know, she was just always over the top. And um, again, reading through the books, she's been another character I've really come around on. I find her so charming and cute and like weird, but in a great way. And then the the updates, the way that they've made her in the show is just, a step further you know they she doesn't come across in the books quite as like spooky she just sort of has these you know this big imagination but then the way that she's presented in the books like the way that she talks about morbid a destiny and you know all of the the haunting and it's just it's just so she's so into it and i love it <laughs> and she's she's still the karen from the books, but like the way that she's karen is just so perfect in the show
0: agreed yeah I think that's one of those things that comes with age obviously you know when you mm-hmm. get older and you sort of reflect back I was mm-hmm. a friend of mine um, uh, posted about uh, Watson and how when she was younger you know she's like I didn't imagine Watson being so cute and I was like yeah <laughs> oh, I yeah. think when I read the books I I don't know I you know you're 11 12 when you're reading the books and maybe age has a different meaning to you and so when I'm thinking of this like adult guy marrying you know for the second time and he already has kids I'm imagining someone like way older not someone who's just probably a little bit older than I am now (laughs) yeah so watching the show I was like right right he would he would not be as old as I had pictured when I was in middle school um yeah
1: yeah yeah Watson I think I think Watson may be my favorite update from the books um mark Furstein is perfect in the show he he's everything and i know lauren and i have had some conversations about watson over the course of the books that we've discussed so far because he's kind of a non-entity in the books he's he's there he's you know by the after book six he's christy's stepfather they live with him but he's not we don't really see a lot of like the relationship growing between him and Christy in the uh, Christy and the walking disaster, which is book 20 that we just talked about. There's um, finally a relationship between them, but we never really see that grow. And I feel like the thing that the show has done really, really well is they show that foundation of that relationship and Watson really being supportive of Christy and caring and wanting to help the babysitters club in every way he can, whether it's helping Christy sort of, solidify the idea of the structure and or being their first um, customer and telling everybody and then you know you can see that Christy's coming around to him she starts to really care about him and I really love that we get to see that building throughout the series as opposed to in the books where it's sort of just suddenly like oh yeah Watson likes baseball and he's going to help me with the crushers like okay but show don't tell <laughs> like, I want to yeah. see that relationship grow so it's, yeah I, I really love that in the series. I think one
2: of the things that the series does that it's subtle, but it it makes such a huge difference is the book Watson's we only ever hear about in relation to Christie. Like he's only a function of the plot in so much as he affects Christie. If Christie's not uh, actively affected by him, he's not really there. Whereas in the, in the TV show, we do, we don't see like that significantly much more than him, but he feels more integrated in a way that he just really doesn't in the books. Like we talk about in the first episode, the fact that he's there with Edie, you know, talking about the engagement. Whereas in the books, he's like an off entity and she's talking to them about the possibility of maybe marrying him on her own. Um, And I I think that just makes a big difference to just bring him into that relationship and that family in a more integral way. It makes so much easier to appreciate and, and watch that relationship develop
0: absolutely yeah it's just and i i don't remember what i was going to say like i had it and then i lost it <laughs> because of course I also did. he's
2: just super super dreamy i mean mark he, first scene
0: is Ooh. he is super dreamy and alicia silverstone
2: yes cast is fantastic
0: <laughs> yeah just she does yes um that's just such perfect casting not just you know from The sense of you know she's just really good in that role but there's just something about alicia silverstone um that i love because you you know she hasn't really been in a lot lately i don't think Mm -hmm. um and she's so iconic a share from clueless and then she shows up as chrissy's mom and it's just it's just perfect it's perfect and I think one of the things that the show
2: does really well too, and, and Alicia in particular, because she is a glamorous movie star, but she's not playing Edie as a glamorous, like the way so many television shows, um, you know, make everybody look like they stepped up out of a uh, magazine. Where we've talked about the fashion, Kate has already purchased a number of things. Um, <laughs> we love the fashion from the show, but it feels real for who they are, both the girls in their age group, the the girls for their characters and the adults in, in the picture, you know, like Edie is the wedding looks expensive because they're, they're, you know, but she doesn't also, it doesn't look like a Hollywood wedding. It doesn't look like a TV wedding. It looks like a real, what, what would be happening in that neighborhood. Um, and I, I think that that is so rare anymore. It's just so beautiful to, to see such care taken to make the everything feel realistic, even with um, the, the urge to, you know, go Hollywood on it.
1: And I can't let us move past talking about casting without referencing the fact that Mark Evan Jackson is Richard Spear. Yes. He just is. I, I yes. Mean, there's, yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I it's funny because I somehow figured out before they announced that he was Richard Spear that he was. Um, and I. I don't even know how I did but I started like tweeting at him and tweeting at Malia Baker and being like I think this might be true and like radio silence and like they're both usually no, yeah. very engaging on Twitter and I got nothing back and I was like okay and then we got a direct message from someone involved that was like you might have something to be even more excited about and I was like oh boy and then he shows up and as Marianne's dad and it's yeah, yeah we like, know what it is he's he's just perfect <laughs> he's you know, all of his roles, I mean, obviously, maybe not Sean on The Good Place, but, you know, he's so good at being that dry, sort of buttoned up, strict, but loving kind of character. And so no one else could ever play Richard Spear the way that he could. And he's just perfect. <laughs> it was just so perfect. Yeah, yeah.
2: It made so so much sense. I remember when Kate first was like, what do you think? And I was like, oh, my God. Yes, that would be absolutely perfect I think it was right I think the first time you brought it up was when they announced Alicia Silverstone and Mark Furstein and we sort of started dream casting you know who we think the rest of everybody else would be and we thought you know unknowns for the girls and, but one of the very first things Kate said was I think Mark Evan Jackson would be so perfect and I was like oh that is yep that that is. and clearly the universe was with us so <laughs> definitely made it happen <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> I mean, I think that sort of speaks to, and again, the care taken with the show, the way that they have taken the books. Um, you can tell that the people behind the scenes of the show love the Babysitter's Club and really wanted to do right by it. You know, they there's a lot of love for the books in this show and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's it's just, I, I think, Lauren, I think you mentioned this on our first episode, but the, the fact that, they show street signs and they show locations and it's exactly where it's supposed to be. You know, it's the right street that the girls live on. It's the right look of the school, the handwriting and the credits. It's it, they use the same handwriting font from the books when they're doing the notebook entries or the postcards and the um, super specials. It's, it's their actual font. So it's like, you know, it's a Christie book because the opening has Christie's handwriting and it's just
0: the level of detail is just so perfect. Yes. Agreed. Um, I feel like I could talk to the baby about the baby series club with you forever. However, (laughs) you have your own (laughs) podcast where you talk about it. And, um, so for our listeners who want to, um, start listening to generation BSC, where can they find you?
1: You can find us on pretty much any podcast hosting system, platform, whatever they're called. Clearly not an expert at podcasting because <laughs> I don't even know the right word. Um, but then we're also on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at Generation BSC. So follow us there. Like Lauren said, we're, we're starting our mini series uh, in the next week and we're planning on doing weekly episodes. We're still sort of figuring it out as we go. But the first episode's in the can that's ready to get posted. So that
0: will be out soon most podcasting you make up as you go along. It's all right. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for coming on uh, the podcast with me. I had so much fun talking about this with you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. And like we've
1: talked about, you're going to have to come be on Generation BSC now and talk to us about your
0: favorite Babysitter's Club book. (laughs) I will do that for sure. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com.
2: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.